Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed. Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I am Ryan Nicodemus, and together we are the Minimalists. Welcome to episode number 68. Today, we're going to talk about overwhelm. And today might be a, a bit of a follow-up to our stress episode. I think I think overwhelm, ultimately, for many of us, leads to, to stress, or at mm. least it can. But it'll certainly be a appreciably different episode, and the questions are, are very different as well. But before we dive into that, Ryan, I had a few follow-up items on the happiness episode that we, we just released last. That was episode number 67. I just got a tweet from some guy named Chris George. <laughs> he said, I want to be the dude that JFM says I love, love you to at the urinal. Great happiness podcast, guys. <laughs> so uh, yeah, if you didn't That's listen to great. that one, go back. Apparently, um, you know. So I'm 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 cool with telling people I love them, um, in in many circumstances, but not at the urinal. And so there won't be hugs at the urinal if you say hi to me at the urinal. But I'll give you a hug anywhere else once we're outside of, once we're outside of the bathroom. But uh, uh, another thing, <laughs> I, I wish I wish I would have found this Ryan before uh, before we. We um, recorded that podcast, but Joe Rogan has this really short video, and I'd love to use the audio from it here. Um, on uh, it's on happiness. It's just Joe Rogan talking about happiness. I think it's a great follow up to to that topic. Before we jump into overwhelm, before we overwhelm you with overwhelm, let's overwhelm you with some happiness from from Joe Rogan. Here's a, a quick one minute clip from from him. It's a hunt. It's a pursuit. It's a constant thing. It's going on all the time. And when you're in the middle of it, in motion, that's when you feel your best. But the discomfort of that motion makes people so uneasy that they feel like, well, I'm going to go through this discomfort and then I'm going to get to a place of stillness where it's all going to make sense. Finally, I made it. I'm here to tell you that fucking place doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. It's not a real place. It's a place that people look to as an inspirational goal, a destination. And that's going to be the thing that you work hard for. You're going you're gonna to push until you get to this place and then it's all going to be worth it. That place is not real. If you have a million dollars, you want a billion. If you have a big house, you want a bigger house. You have to find out what actually makes you happy. And it's not, it's not having all your ducks in a row on paper. It's improvement. It's improvement in the way you manage your mind. It's improvement in the way you manage your emotions. It's understanding how you've made mistakes and how to improve upon them, and also understanding what you've done right and building upon that. All of those things are what make people happy, including love and friendship and being good at that, being a good friend, being a good lover, being a good neighbor. All those things, those aren't distractions. Those are part of the big overall of being a human being. So we can put a link to that in, in the video. It's actually a video too, so you can share it with other people. We'll put great. a link to that in the show notes. But I totally agree with that, man. Happy is not happiness is not the the place. It's not the destination. It's not the place you get to once all your ducks are in a row. And I I remember uh, watching Fight Club back in like '99 or 2000 when when it first came out, and it was actually before I read the book. I I um I, I saw the movie, and and in the book I, I I genuinely believe is better, even though the movie is is phenomenal. 
Um, Isn't that? I've never heard anyone say the movie was so much better than the book. Oh, there are some cases where that's true. The really? God, the Godfather is such a better movie than the book. Oh, okay. But it's yeah. very rare, I guess. It is absolutely rare. There's always exceptions rare. to the rule, for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, Layer Cake, have you seen, you've seen Layer Cake, right? Yeah. It's a, a movie one, with right? Daniel Craig. Yeah. Uh, before he was James Bond and super famous. Yeah. The book is decent, but the movie's, the movie's way, better. way better. Yeah. I can only imagine like putting the action in there. But anyway. Yeah. Sorry so, to derail you. No, you're good, man. <laughs> I, I, I feel like once your ducks are in a row, it doesn't get us to that place. And I was reminded of the, the fight club scene where, um, you know, he's he's going through all of the his uh, Scandinavian furniture and recounting, like having all these things. And then his whole apartment burns down. Right. Mm-hmm. And like he is he's sort of lamenting the fact that he's lost everything and he was almost there like everything was almost just right he had mm-hmm. the right rug and he had the right uh sofa and, and and the the right you know dining set and everything in his condo was almost perfect and therefore his life was going to be ideal Brilliant. but of course it wasn't ideal it was this ideal that he had made up that that wasn't going to serve a a, a true function for happiness in his life it was just going to check off a, a to-do list that was a essentially meaningless we all we all need some stuff and many of that those things may have augmented his happiness but but they certainly didn't cause the the happiness and so when i think about that being the the destination man that's where that's where i worked for the longest time was was trying to make happiness my destination we're really you know constant improvement and growth that's what that's what's going to lead to happiness in, in the long term. Yeah, I think that I agree that that certainly can lead to happiness. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, like getting clear on what one's values and beliefs are. Take a drink. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, get, getting clear on that. I think uh, that is what you know will truly make one happy. Because I'll tell you, man, I have uh, mentoring clients mm-hmm. who are overwhelmed with the thought of. I'm not improving my life. Mm. I'm not. I, I'm not growing enough, and and I don't know what to do. And it's like, well, hold on, take a step back. Yeah. What else is missing in your life? It, it, okay, maybe you're not in a position right now where you can just grow. Maybe you're not in a position right now where where you have an opportunity to to self improve because you're so overwhelmed right. with other things in your life. Like, what are you overwhelmed with first? Let's deal with those things, and then now let's talk about growing and and, and contributing and 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 you know self improvement. So I, I just I'm only throwing that caveat in there because like I, I know uh, people who get overwhelmed by the mm-hmm. thought of self improvement. Yeah, for sure. And in fact, some of the questions, the first question that we will we'll talk we'll address today, uh, sort of deals with that. Uh, not directly, but at least indirectly, where, where we have someone who is interested in helping someone else who's overwhelmed mm. by by the the self improvement, and it's weird that the, the that term, Ryan, self help or self improvement, has almost become a pejorative in, in time over time, or uh, even like like uh, um like mocking. Yes. Like yeah, it's yeah. almost like not. It's almost like satire. And and I, you know, why? Because there's a whole genre of, and, and we've worked really hard. To, to not fall into this genre, uh, the, at least the bad side of it, where it is self-help for profit, right? Yeah. And, and it's like, I'm going to write a book. You know how many book offers we've gotten since the documentary came out? And it's like, well, no, like we, we have three books about minimalism and, and it's this triad that works really well. And eventually, will there, will there be something else that, that we can create? Yeah, probably. But I'm not going to write, well, let's let's try to 
tweeze out the best ingredients of those three books and create a fourth book. Yeah. No, those three books are, are, are different, and, and uh, we intentionally wrote them to cover the why, the what, and the how side of, of simplifying your life. And, and I, I find that this whole self-help movement is... Uh, both good and bad. There's the good side. It's just like anything, right? Yeah. But but there's been a lot of of nonsense and and, and woo woo and and ineffective uh, recipes uh, that that inspire people, but don't don't inspire them to take action. Inspire isn't the right word because inspiration would actually get you to take action. They excite people. Mm. Oh, I'm going to buy this book and it's going to change my life. No, the book doesn't change your life. None of our books are going to change your life. If you find some action steps in there that will allow you to to move forward and create your own recipe, you're going to change your life. You're just going to maybe use uh, several different recipes uh, to do that. Well, you know how we always say, uh, don't don't mistaken excitement for passion. Yeah, don't. Yeah. So I mean, you could say the same about uh, inspiration. Like, don't mistaken excitement for inspiration. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Hmm. Yeah. So before we jump into the questions here. I'd like to tell people about the Less Is Now Tour. Ryan and I are hitting the road this year, 2017. We've got a list of a bunch of cities we're coming to. You can get tickets at lessisnow.com. We're going to Pittsburgh, Burlington, Boston, Portland, Maine, Missoula, Spokane, Seattle, Portland, Oregon, Grand Rapids, Chicago, Madison, Minneapolis, San Diego, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Indianapolis, Cincinnati, Columbus, Cleveland, and then we're also working on a bunch of other cities as well. Saskatoon, Edmonton, Calgary, Vancouver, Montreal, Ottawa, Toronto, Winnipeg, New York City, uh, New Philadelphia. Why <laughs> <laughs> uh, is that the only one you say differently? I, so it reminds me of that, that, uh, that old like tomato sauce commercial. <laughs> yeah. they're, they're in El Paso, and they're like, ours is made in El Paso. Where's your sauce made? Or your, your sauce made? <laughs> New York City. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we'll be in New York City, Philadelphia, uh, uh, Washington, D.C., Salt Lake City, Denver, Albuquerque, Phoenix, St. Louis, Kansas City, Omaha, Houston, Austin, Dallas, uh, Oklahoma City, Louisville, Nashville, uh, Charlotte, Birmingham, Atlanta, and Tampa. Those last 28 cities are cities we're working on. Make sure you're on our email list over at lessisnow.com. You can get tickets to the first 19 cities already. And uh, those are, are going quickly, especially in, in some of these cities like Pittsburgh and, and, and Boston and all the California cities. And um, Minneapolis is, is nearing selling out. So um, get your tickets while you can. If you're interested in seeing us do an in-depth talk about minimalism record and record a live version of the Minimalist Podcast and plus a bunch of hugs afterward, you can also share the tour with your friends using the hashtag less is now. All right, Ryan, you want to dive into some questions? Yeah, man, let's, let's do it. All right, our first question is from Christina in Los Angeles, California, one of my favorite cities in the world. How do you encourage someone who may want to be more minimalist in their life achieve that when they feel like they can't aspire to a certain goal or something they should live up to? So for New Year's Day, like at 2 in the morning, my boyfriend and I are watching the documentary, and I could tell he was really inspired by it, and he, like, really liked the idea of tiny houses. But after the documentary, and he started thinking about 
certain things that he felt he couldn't, he tried to give up, but couldn't give up, maybe because of family influence or sentimental or alleged sentimental value. I am more minimalist in my life. I, it's really easy for me to let go of things and reduce things and not get so attached. How do they get through the day or a week or a month where they feel like they haven't been so-called minimalist enough and, and keep going with those ideals and those purposes and not feel like they have to quit because they slipped up or something like that? All right, so Christina used a few words here that I wrote down, right? She said encourage. So first off, thank you for encouraging others because that's the right way to do it. It's not how do I force someone else to become a minimalist? You want to encourage people through your actions, obviously, Amen. right? And I wrote this other thing down. She didn't actually say this, but this is this is kind of what I got. Uh, uh, her partner or boyfriend is is overwhelmed by inspiration. And, <laughs> and man, so we were just talking about the self-help genre, right? And I think someone will buy the 10 self-help books that are supposed to change their life, and then they get overwhelmed by inspiration, and right? they got 10 books to read. Yeah, and then how, how am I going to, you know, now I have to do all 10 things or all 100 things from these 10 books, and I'm, I'm overwhelmed. I don't know where to start. I don't know what to do. And, and I'll, first thing I'll say is also keep in mind that, that overwhelm is an abstraction, and here's what I mean by that. But it's a weird kind of abstraction. Like um, an inch is an abstraction. It's a unit of measurement, right? Mm -hmm. So an inch isn't a real thing. It's not a, a, a and same thing as a number. Uh, unless you're a Platonist that you don't believe numbers truly exist. The number seven represents seven units of something, right? The weird thing about overwhelm is it can't really be measured. We don't have, we don't have the units to measure. I have seven inches of overwhelm or I have 19 units of overwhelm today, right? It, it, it is an abstraction, but it is one that we can't measure very accurately. So an, an inch will measure a certain distance. A distance is just an abstraction. And I don't really have units to, to tell you like, well, here's how overwhelmed you are. You just know it when you feel it. When you feel, and we all feel it at different times. Different things overwhelm us. So you, you and I, Ryan, we both get overwhelmed like all human beings. Yeah. Um, but we, we, we react to those things differently. I often will get stressed out. You don't get as stressed. Um, you will react more in the moment where I will just like internalize it more. And, and so we all have these different reactions. None of them are right or wrong, good or bad necessarily, but they can be managed. Uh, if we, once we realize that that overwhelm, what I mean by an abstraction is it doesn't actually exist. It is not a tangible thing. And once we step back, we pause. So whenever I get overwhelmed by something, whether, whether it's this good kind of overwhelm, I'm overwhelmed by inspiration, like that's, that's the best kind of overwhelm that you can have, mm. but it's still overwhelming. It's still not a good thing. Whenever I feel overwhelmed, the first thing I do now, and I was not good at this for many, many years, but the first thing I do now, and I'm still not outstanding at it, but the first thing I do is I pause. I just pause and I step back both figuratively and sometimes literally so that I can see myself. Like, like if I'm, if I'm like, Oh, okay. I'm so overwhelmed. I will literally just pause, stop everything I'm doing check my physiology. How am I breathing right now? What's going on in my body? And then I will literally just take one step backward and say, okay, like I'm, I know that I'm, I'm metaphorically stepping back from this overwhelm, but I'm also f literally physically stepping backward. 
And, and that allows me to realize like, okay, I can step away from this thing that I think is overwhelming me. And, and that for me is a really good you know, first, uh, first step in, in dealing with the overwhelm. And, and sometimes we have to do that with the people closest to us. When we, when, we, when we really care about someone, we see they're feeling stressed or overwhelmed. We don't want to do it in an obtrusive way or, or we don't want to do it in a way that's insulting. Like, hey, you're you really overwhelmed right now. You need you need to stop and breathe. <laughs> that's just a really like that's a jerk move. But but what you can do is you can encourage them, say, hey, I could I could really tell. And it's all about how you frame it. Right. I can tell you're feeling overwhelmed right now. And whenever I feel overwhelmed, I love to just take three deep breaths. Just <gasps> And it allows me to change my physical state. I'll take that one step back and sort of look at that overwhelm and realize that's not part of me. Mm. It doesn't have to be, at least. Yeah. And, and al- allowing me to do that allows me to then to approach that overwhelm in, a, in a, a more rational way. Because what are we doing? We're changing the emotional reaction we have to it first. Because that's all that overwhelm is. It's an emotional reaction. It's generally not a, a rational reaction to anything. And so... Once I've started dealing with it emotionally, I can start dealing with it intellectually. And so I'll, I'll talk about a few things that I do intellectually, Ryan. I'd be happy to hear if you do anything similar. Uh, the first thing I do is uh, something from neuro-linguistic programming, NLP. It's called chunking. And so uh, if 10 things are overwhelming me, I'll see which ones are categorized together and, and maybe realize that, you know what? it's not actually 10 things that are overwhelming me. It's five things that are like this and another five things that are like this. It's just two things that are overwhelming me. Mm. And by chunking those, I'm able to deal with those things more effectively. And, and instead of saying, I, you know, I have to read these 10 books. Well, well no, I, I get to prioritize those through chunking, right? Maybe I don't have to read all 10 of those at all because five of them tell me the same exact thing. And so I could say, okay, I'm going to chunk these five over here. Which one is the most important to read if I'm over overwhelmed with inspiration. And the same goes, I mean, if uh, Christina's partner is dealing with his stuff, it's not, oh my God, I have 300,000 items to deal with. That is overwhelming. Mm. It's, oh wow, I have a kitchen, one kitchen cabinet to deal with. Mm-hmm. I've chunked that. And so it's just one thing that I need to deal with. And oh, by the way, it's only going to take me 15 minutes to deal with that because I've decided to chunk it instead of being overwhelmed by, oh my God, the, the plates and the cups and the bowls and the utensils. And what is this thing in the back of the cabinet? Is that a can of beans? Like, and you're dealing with all of these individual things. No, you're just dealing with one larger thing. When, when you chunk it. And once you chunk it from, from there and you say, okay, I have 300,000 items. No, I was able to chunk that down into seven different rooms. And then what you do from there is you prioritize. And prioritization is difficult for all of us. And, and I think the reason being is, is we as, as human creatures, we are reactive. We are a reactive species and necessarily so, right? Mm -hmm. Because when we were in the jungle and we heard something rustle in the leaves, we had to react to that. Otherwise we might die. Now it could be a raindrop, but it could also be a tiger that wants to eat our face. And the, the difference now is there aren't many tigers out there that want to eat your face. But we still react the same way. Our friend Julian Smith calls it the flinch. We're, we're constantly flinching to things that we shouldn't flinch to. We used to have to flinch because 
uh, a bear was going to attack us. But now we flinch because our 401k went down half a percent overnight. Mm-hmm. And we're like, oh, like that, that's terrible. Now I need to react to it. And the same thing happens with our everyday stimuli. Whether it's email, we're constantly reacting to email. We're constantly reacting to social media. We're reacting to to people coming up to us at work and, and interrupting us at our, our desk or whatever. And and that stimuli um, is overwhelming to us because we're constantly having to uh, go through these the, these reactions and and finding a way to to decoct and perform triage on what is actually necessary and what isn't. And I found that that chunking and then prioritization in my own life has allowed me to stop being as reactive. I still react to stuff. It's still necessary to be reactive, but I don't let my reaction control my everyday interactions. And so instead of being reactive, I can be more proactive because I've taken back control of those reactions. And so how do you prioritize? Well, you have to ask yourself some questions. What is truly important? What is my outcome? And then why am I doing this even before you ask that? So the why and then the what. And then, of course, the how will, will be birthed out of the why and the what when you're when you're prioritizing. Um, let's see what a, a few other things here, Ryan. Uh, oh, um, changing the goal is always something because if we're not asking the the well, we, we need to start with the why why am i doing what, what, what i'm doing we often have these goals that don't make any sense totally agree yeah and so why why am i why do i have this goal and you might if you ask that question you might realize the goal is superfluous and you don't need to continue to pursue it and you can let go of it altogether. and that's one of the best ways to prioritize is by having fewer things to do and so change your goals for smarter goals if you're going to have goals at all i prefer to have a direction instead of a goal it, it, because uh, let's say you, you live in new york city instead of going to los angeles my goal or my 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 instead of having that goal my my direction might be I'm going to head west because you might end up somewhere different, but you can still think of it as a success if you just had a direction and you decided I'm going to head west as opposed to – and you ended up in San Francisco and all of a sudden you're like, well, I didn't reach my goal. I failed. No, maybe, maybe you ended up somewhere better because you had the right direction. And so change your goals for smarter goals or smarter uh, directions. And um, let's see if I got anything else here. Oh, yeah, yeah. He, he, uh, Christina's partner, Ryan, he's always focusing on what he can't do, it sounds like. Yeah. I can't do this. I can't do that. I can't, 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 can't. That's... Well, you know what? With that attitude, you can't. Right, right. And so what can you do? Uh, you know, we, uh, so Ryan and I used to, to manage some stores in, in uh, Kentucky. And the joke always there was, are you from Kentucky or Kentucky? Uh, when someone couldn't sell something or couldn't reach their goal. Or, or are whatever. you American or American? Right, right, right. But it was especially prevalent in, in, in Kentucky. And so, um, yeah, uh, don't focus on what you can't do. Focus on what you can do. So instead of saying, I can't do this, I can't do that, I can't do that. Okay, fine. I can't dunk a basketball, but it doesn't mean I can't play basketball, right? right. Let me focus on what I can do because you get me on the court at 15 feet, I'm not going to miss. Well, these days I actually miss a lot, <laughs> but when I was a teenager, I, 15, the 15 foot jumper, I was, I, I, you couldn't, you couldn't stop me. But, um, man, uh, so focus on what you can do. Don't focus on what you can't do. You, you'll be much better off because of it. And then one other thing that I've found that has really helped me with my back, Ryan, because that was the, I mean, you know how, um, just how awful my back has been and how much pain and how immobile I, I, I was two years ago. It was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I couldn't do a single squat. 
But now I what I can do is I can most days put ankles together and do a full deep squat and stay there rested for several minutes. Uh, it's not the most comfortable thing for me still. I'm still working at improving it. But the reason I felt overwhelmed by that is because like I, I saw the different programs to do that. They were all overwhelming. It was like, you have to do, you know, a hundred squats a day and do this and do this and do this. And while that, those things would have helped, I felt uninspired mm. by those things. And so instead, instead of focusing on the overwhelm, I said, okay, every 22 minutes, I'm going to get up and do at least one squat, just one. And I would have poor form at first and I was building up my muscles. And if I wanted to do more, I could do more. And I found that once I did it, I started doing a lot more, right? But even now, I'll get up every 22 minutes and I'll do three squats. That's it. It's easy for me to do three squats. Now it's nothing. Really simple squats. But what it allows me to do is make sure I keep that habit going. It's like going to the gym. It, the, the best thing, the, the best way to get motivated to go to the gym is just to go to the gym. Right. Because once you're there, you're going to end up doing something. Yeah. And it's better than nothing. And what I found is those three squats helped me out considerably. And over the last two years, I've been doing that every single day. And now my form is so much better because I just, I, I did, uh, what I wrote down here is do less and do fewer. And what I mean by that is I no longer feel obligated. I have to do all of these things. No, I just have to do one. And if I do one, it will lead to one more and then it will lead to one more and then it will lead to one more. And the last thing I have here, Ryan, is um, uh, should versus must. Mm. This is one of the first things that we talked about ever on our website. It's uh, if you go back to look, we, we did this 21 day thing where, where you're simplifying your life over 21 days. It was really the, the precipice of the minimalists.com. You can go to the minimalists.com slash 21 days. We'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. But you have to help uh, your, your partner here, Christina, you have to help him get the leverage that he needs to turn some of his, his shoulds. I should do this. I should do this. I should do this. He has to turn those into musts. And the only way you get the le leverage is by figuring out what the true benefits are. So ask yourself, how might your life be better with less? And by answering that, you'll figure out what the what the purpose of the simplifying is for him. Because it's not just about getting rid of the stuff. That's just the first step. It's about the benefits you experience once you're on the other side of decluttering. And so you need to help him understand what those benefits are for him. And by the way, I know you said, Christina, it's easy for you to let go of stuff. Figure out why it's easy for you. And then help him understand why it's easy for you because he can, he can mimic that recipe and maybe not make it easy for him, but make it a little bit easier. Yeah, uh, I, dude, I totally agree with the the changing the goal thing. I mean, you know, if I was to think to myself, like, why would I, why would I work out if I'll never have a six pack? Or, you know, why would I quit smoking when I'm going to die of something anyway? Mm. Or, uh, you know, why would I even care about climate change? Uh, the sun's going to burn out in a billion years. <laughs> why would I try to become a minimalist when I can never be a monk? And the problem uh, is that wow. it's very, those are very deleveraging uh, thoughts. Yes. And at the end of the day, like none of us are perfect. Right. And these are all excuses and, and th these are all shoulds. Right. And, uh, they, they, he is shutting himself down by using these excuses, uh, to, uh, basically talk him out of turning these shoulds into musts. He's shooting all over himself. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, it's funny you say, so an excuse, a, 
a really some of his excuses might be great, but they're still excuses at the end yeah. of the day. And, and he's got to see that. Like he really has to be honest with himself and look in the mirror. Because yeah. you know what, I can look in the mirror and say. Um, like if, if it came to working out, if I'm telling myself, well, I can never work out because I'll never, I'll never work out because I can never have a six pack. Right. Um, like I have the type of personality I can look in the mirror and be like, no dude, like you're not going to work out cause you're lazy. Wow. It's not because you're not going to have a six pack. You're not going to have a six pack because you're not willing to put in the effort right. to have a six pack. So, uh, when it comes to working out specifically, like that's not, that used to be my goal, like in high school, like maybe early twenties yeah. and I never got there. You were kind of jacked in high school. Though. Yeah. A little bit. That. I think I actually <laughs> did have a bit of a, but and it doesn't matter. <laughs> All I'm saying though is like nowadays, like if that, if the six pack was my goal, um, I could look in the mirror and be like, I am not willing to cut out every single carb out of my diet. I'm yeah. not willing to do 500 sit-ups a day. So like, I, I'm not willing to get a six pack. Yeah. Uh, You're I honest get, with yourself. Yeah. I might get there one day, but you know, the reason why I work out is because I want to maintain my health. Yeah. Uh, I want to be a mobile, you know, 50 year old, a mobile 60 year old. Uh-huh. I want to be that you know, best version of, of my, four, I'm going to be 30. We're going to be 36 this year. We're going to be 40. Like before we know it, like I, I want to be the best 40 year old version of myself that I absolutely can be. Yeah. So like, those are the things I look at. It's like, like you said, it's finding that leverage to take action towards the same things that we want to do. So, you know, Christina, she, she can't go to her boyfriend and be like, these are all excuses. Yeah. Uh, stop making so many excuses. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to blame anyone. Right. For anything. Ab- absolutely. You not. won't, you won't change anything that way. Right. But what she could do is maybe help redirect that goal. So, you know, instead of uh, saying, hey, you need to get rid of stuff, maybe, you know, Christina goes to him and, say, and says, hey, you know, I'd like to play the men's game this month. And mm-hmm. I know how much you hate cleaning bathrooms. So if you win, I'm going to clean the bathrooms for the next six months. Right. Uh, you know, just something like that to, again, use more leverage yes. to get him to uh, take action. Or if you win the men's game, I'll start decluttering for you the following month. I mean, just anything that she can uh, give him to to inspire him to at least get started. And you know what? I just want to say, like, dude, I'm still trying to be a good minimalist. Yeah. Like, I'm not. Like, I'm not perfect, man. Same here. And it's it's like to to expect perfection, I think, is the ultimate way to deleverage yourself. Yeah, because because uh, that if, if your affinity for perfection is is there, if you have an affinity for perfection, then it, it spurs inaction in a way. Because, I mean... I found this with writing in particular. I teach my, my writing students this because quite often we're afraid to put the words onto the page because they'll never be as perfect as they are in your head, right? You're right. like, I've got this concept, this idea. But once I get it onto the page, it's like, oh, man, that doesn't work or this doesn't work or that's stupid. Yeah, it's going to be stupid. It's a first draft. And guess what? Our, our life is in many cases a first draft. We're, we're constantly <laughs> going through and revisions. constantly editing. Right? Yeah, man, that's a and really good analogy. I, I like your analogy, though, with, with the muscles, man, because what you're really saying there is, you know, I'm not striving for vanity muscles. And I think mm-hmm. the same thing is true with our material possessions. It's not about it's it, the, the stuff is the surface level, right? Just like the six pack abs are a surface level. Now, they they might be a good indicator of overall health. Could be not Could necessarily. Be. Yeah. But I know our, guys who don't. I mean, it's rare, but I, I know a couple guys I went to high school with who never worked out a day in their life and had like a ripping six pack. Well, my brother was an Adonis. I mean, if you look at, at Jerome, never worked right? out a day in his life. Yeah, yeah. He had huge he could muscles. lift me above his head. Yeah, huge muscles, <laughs> six pack. I mean, he looked like an underwear model um, <laughs> and and did nothing to attain it other than like wake up and and eat cereal with hot sauce on it. Um, and, uh, man, like 
it, but yeah, he so he he just had that. But um, what I'm saying is, generally, your your waist size can be an overall indicator of of your overall health. Not necessarily, not specifically, but generally that it's it's a it's probably a good a good sign. And I think the same is true with our overall stuff. If we have clutter everywhere, it's also it, it could be a a sign of our internal health. Our external world might be a sign of of that internal mental clutter, financial clutter, spiritual clutter, internal clutter that's going on. Mm-hmm. It's just a manifestation. And so by dealing with that, we're able to start dealing with what's going on inside. And and the way to deal with that is is really to start prioritizing what is important to you. That's the financial clutter made me think of an idea she could also use as leverage. If that's an angst for him, mm-hmm. um, what's the who's the Oh no, I forget his name. The guy who's doing the ten thousand dollars, make ten thousand dollars, twenty thousand dollars thing. Yeah, uh, uh, Gary V. Gary V. So t- you know, uh, instead of you know him thinking like, oh, I'll never be a minimalist like I truly want to be, mm-hmm. like she could approach him with, hey, let's see if we can make twenty grand off of the stuff we have. Oh yeah. And so so for those uninformed with this, Gary V. is doing the twenty seventeen challenge. Uh, where he he thinks that you can make twenty thousand dollars twenty thousand one hundred seventy dollars you know twenty seventeen yeah twenty thousand one hundred seventy dollars off the stuff you own in your house by selling it on eBay Craigslist, or uh, whatever the one that Sean's wife is using now we had several um, readers recommend it it is called Poshmark yeah um, and I, I don't know a whole lot about it but I know that they're making some good income off of that right now That's so awesome. Sean and his family are selling stuff they yeah. no longer use. And uh, she's minimizing. I think she, you know, she, she also uses that to shop for other things that they do need as well. Yeah. And so um, I, I've never used it personally, so I can't recommend it. But I know she. Uh, I just I just saw her yesterday, and she was talking about how how much they were getting value from it. So that's awesome. Yeah. So instead of like telling uh, her partner these are the goals you need to have, it's like suggest goals as a unit, mm-hmm. and uh, you know that will help them get closer to that spot he wants to be i guess yeah for sure and uh, one last thing i'll I'll just talk about real quick because i have it written down here my partner rebecca is speaking of priorities is doing a 23 day priorities reset for anyone who's interested to take a look at that she's helping 20 people next month which is april 2017 uh sort of one-on-one or one-on-twenty i suppose she's doing like a daily video thing and a course basically that's helping 20 different people through just resetting their priorities she she did this this month to test it on herself and uh, man, she's looking outstanding and, and doing some like just her diet is really refined. Um, she's exercising like crazy and uh, she's improving her sleep and she's not perfect, but she, she's talking about how she's incrementally improving all these areas, but relatively quickly over 23 day period. Uh, minimalwellness.com for anyone interested. But for Christina, the last thing I'd like to give her is. Uh, a copy of our book, Essential. So we talked about the why to and getting to the what to, but once you have answered those questions, Christina, uh, our book, Essential, it's an essay collection of 150 essays about 12 different topics on intentional living. And it's really our how-to book. There's a whole chapter on there on minimalism. There's a whole chapter on there on stuff. And, and, uh, and there are several other chapters I think you'll find value as well. So Sean, if you could reach out to Christina, if she wants the book version of that, or if she would like the... Uh, audiobook version or the ebook version we'll be happy to if we have, I don't know if we have any download actually I think yeah we just got some more audible download codes so we should be able to give her an audiobook if she'd prefer that one all right should we move on Ryan let's do it all right here's Jordan in Seattle I'm uh in middle school sixth grade and 
I watched your documentary, and I've been inspired to become a minimalist. I have a question. I mean, dealing with, like, with school and then at home, having so many things, like, how do I declutter? How do I de-stress? And how do I live a life more meaningful, even as a kid? I mean, I really think it's a really good lifestyle, and I would love to figure out how to do it. I mean, I've been listening to the podcast, and my question is, at 12 years old, how do you declutter at school and how do you not stress out because like at school you have finals and I get stressed out and I mean personally I'm, I don't haven't been diagnosed with ADD but I sometimes I have trouble concentrating for me and I mean I do fairly well in school but I can't figure out how to declutter and I think that's my problem congratulations you are starting at age 12 I am so proud Dude, of you Jordan how awesome is it that we got a caller that's from 12 years grade. old. Yeah. From the sixth grade, dude. That is, I cannot believe we can inspire a 12 year old. Like, that is. <laughs> well, we see them at our events occasionally, and, and sometimes it's either their parents bring them out, but occasionally we have some 12 and 13 year olds who bring their parents out. And it seems to me that Jordan is going to be that kind of person. What an honor, dude, to be yeah. like a role model. Actually, you know what? Uh, Jordan, let's, uh, Sean, if you could reach out to him, maybe give him and his parents, if they're willing to take him to our Seattle event. Would love to see you there, Jordan. Uh, that's coming up in uh, May. Uh, lessisnow.com, the Less Is Now tour, but uh, give him some tickets for him and, and his parents if they're willing to, to bring him out. Would love to give you a, a hug in person, but uh, congratulations on, on starting early, and I think you're asking the right questions here, a and I'm going to start with something on our website. Uh, it's called Five Decluttering Tips. It's just theminimalists.com slash tips. I'm going to read this to you, and then we can talk about it a little bit, Jordan. The minimalists are not fans of so-called listicles because they are often oversimplistic, trite, vapid. Ergo, it is our policy to avoid them as much as possible. But despite our allergic reaction, reporters and journalists frequently ask us for the minimalists' top decluttering tips for folks considering minimalism. And so, we often answer their quandary with a combination of the following guidance. Number one, question. Start your process by asking the most important question. How might my life be better with less? By answering this question, you'll identify the benefits of letting go. Not just the how-to, but the more important why-to. Of course, the benefits are different for each of us. For some people, they involve health or relationships. For others, the benefits are financial freedom or more time to create. Understanding the purpose of decluttering will grant you the leverage you need to keep going. So, Jordan, why do you want to declutter? I think it's admirable that you want to declutter, but why are you doing? What are the benefits going to be for you? Number two, start small. Once you understand why you're decluttering, you want to start small so that you can get the, the momentum you need. We recommend starting with the 30-day minimalism game over at theminimalists.com slash game, which will make decluttering more fun by injecting some friendly competition into the mix. So basically you start out at the beginning of the month, you find a partner, a friend, family member, coworker, schoolmate, etc. And uh, at the beginning of the month, you decide, okay, this month we're going to get rid of some stuff. On the first day of the month, you each get rid of one item. Second day of the month, you each get rid of two items. Third day of the month, three items, so forth and so on. Starts off really easy, gets you that momentum you need. By the middle of the month, it starts to get more difficult because day 15, you're getting rid of 15 items. Day 20, 20 items. Day 25, 25 items. Whoever goes the longest wins. If you both make it to the end of the month, you've both won because you've, uh, you've both gotten rid of about 500 items, which is 
which is a really good start for decluttering for sure. Uh, Bex and I did this with uh, with our minimalist household uh, last month, and you can find that whole journey over at her Instagram page. It's uh, instagram.com slash minimal wellness. Number three, packing party. Once you have momentum, let go of more stuff by throwing a packing party, which you can find at theminimalist.com slash packing. Do it in one room. Or if you're feeling adventurous like Ryan, do your entire house. So we've had quite a few people who reach out to us that I've started my packing party, I've done my packing party, and some people just do it in one room or one cabinet, one drawer. You, know, you can do a packing party wherever you'd like. You can start with your car and do a packing party just with your car if your, your car is feeling cluttered. You can do a packing party, pack up everything as if you're moving, and then unpack only the items you need over the next 21 days. Uh, number four, rules. If you need some guidance while letting go, consider the just-in-case rule, the 90-90 rule, and the 10-10 material possessions theory to help you stay on track. I'll walk you through those really quickly. The 20-20 rule, which you can find at our um, website, theminimalists.com slash J-I-C. By the way, we'll put links to all these in the show notes. It means you can replace anything that you are holding on to just in case, the three most dangerous words in the English language. You, you're, you can replace anything you're holding on to just in case for less than $20, less than 20 minutes from wherever you are. The cool thing about that rule is you hardly ever have to use it. Between me and Ryan, we've had to use it five times in the last five years. And the cool thing about that is it allows you, it gives you the permission to let go of everything that's in the way that you're not actually going to use someday. So the 90-90 rule is take a look at everything you own. Have I used this in the last 90 days? Am I going to use it in the next 90 days? If not, give yourself permission to let go. Of course, you can change that rule. You can make it the 120 rule. You can make it the 30-day rule if, if, if that's more ideal for you. You can make it the one-year rule even. It just allows you to have these sort of draconian rules in place, but they're not that draconian because they're malleable, and you can, you can adjust them accordingly. And then uh, last but not least, that 10-10 material possessions theory. Uh, take a piece of paper, write down the 10 most expensive uh, purchases from the last decade of your life, or maybe Jordan for you, the last two or three years of your life. What are the 10 most expensive things that you own? And then flip that over. What are the 10 most memorable or meaningful experiences you've had in the last decade or in the last two, three years, whatever that, that time period may be for you? And you'll, you'll sort of wince in horror when you realize that there's generally no overlap from either one of those lists. And that will give you permission to let go as well. And then number five, finally, no matter, uh, I'm sorry, uh, number five is organize. That's, that's the fifth uh, step here, the fifth tip. No matter where you are on your journey, always remember the easiest way to organize your stuff is to get rid of most of it. <laughs> Preach. Yeah, man. So... Um, I think I think for Jordan, he's talking about stress, and I, that that saddens me a little bit to hear about twelve-year-olds getting stressed out, yeah, right? Too, stressed out by school, and and I I realized for me that decluttering is not fun. It's kind of boring. I don't like it. Some people love decluttering, and and good for you. I I am envious of your ability to love decluttering, but um, I also realize when I declutter, I de-stress, um, and I. Also, when I clean the house, I de-stress. Like that—that's a, a de-stressor for me. You know this, right? Like I'll. I, Dude, the first thing that you do when we go to a hotel is you will like get out the ironing board. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. I don't even know if you have shirts these days that you <laughs> that you need to iron. Do you just like take a t-shirt to start ironing? <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it, it, for me, it is um, therapeutic. It is. Uh, that's not the word I, that I'm looking for. It is 
relaxing. Man, I'm I'm, I'm blanking on the word. That I love how I well it's because right you're you're getting so relaxed right now thinking about Iron. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I <laughs> well, and I remember I was really stressed out a a few weeks ago. I, I felt overwhelmed by all the stuff we had going on. It was right when we were at first announcing the Less Is Now tour and. Like we were, I, there was one day where like, I just had information overload and de- decision fatigue and I was overwhelmed and I got home and I Bex, before we do anything else, I just need to vacuum and mop the floor. <laughs> and she's like, okay. Like she's totally supportive. Like she doesn't look at me like I'm stupid or I'm weird. And, mm. and that's another thing that's important is surround yourself with supportive people. And if people look at you like you're weird or you're doing something stupid, then they're not being supportive of you. And you can talk to them before you're getting them out of your life. And it's got to be really hard for a teenager or a preteen, in, in Jordan's case, um, where sometimes people, they're, they're judgmental. But of course, judgment is but a mirror that reflects the insecurities of the person who's doing the judging. And when we're teenagers, we do a lot of judging, right? But realize when other people are judging you, Jordan, they're just really judging themselves. Mm. And, and so... I said this yesterday when we were doing the, the Mondays with the Minimalists on, on Facebook Live, Ryan, mm-hmm. and I had a bunch of people tweeted the, the quote, and it was just sort of this accidental quote. I said, I care less now about what people think about me, and I care more about what I think about me. Yeah, amen. And so, Jordan, I know that this is much easier said than done. But Especially it, as a sixth grader going into oof, junior high. <laughs> yeah, it is. It, it, but it is so important. Care less about what other people think about you and care much more about what you think about you. And what I mean by that is, are you happy with the actions you're taking? Are you living deliberately? How do you, you ask the question, how do you live a more meaningful life? Well, you need to align your actions, your daily actions with your long-term values. And in order to do that, you have to know what your values are. And if you can uncover your values, you want your actions to align with that. And some people are gonna say, well, I don't like that. I don't like what you're doing. When Ryan mentioned this, you know, he said, I, when I first left the corporate world, got rid of my fancy car, someone from my, my corporate days came up to me and said, I don't like your new car. It's, it's not fancy enough. And it's like, I don't care. Like, I don't have a car payment. And it, it, that, that's another weird thing, too. Like, we frame things differently. I was, I was at, um, man, where was I? I was at a coffee shop the other day. Mm-hmm. And uh, this woman who was ordering her drink, she was she knew the barista or whatever. And she said, "Hey, take a look at my new car." And it was like this fancy car still had like all these, you know, it was like a uh, yeah, some SUV that, had dealer tags on it still. Yeah, still had the dealer tags, and it was super shiny still. Even though, hey, look at like, my debt payment I got out there. That's that's how I would you know uh, instead of saying look at my new car, really what I thought it was look at your new car payment. <laughs> <laughs> but again, judgment is but a mirror. What am I doing there? I'm saying yeah. like, if I were to take on a yeah. new car that had the car payment like that, I w- I'm just saying, man, I don't want to take on that car payment. That's stressful. That to that's me, that's a great point. And you know what? Maybe that car payment isn't stressful for her. Maybe not. And that's okay. Yeah. And and so so you know, for some people, they're they're going to have debt. I, I don't expect everyone to be living debt free. For me, it is it is what I need to be financially free. And so Jordan, uh, I'm going to talk to your, your 18 year old self now for a second. Don't get into debt. Don't get into student debt. Don't let anyone rope you into a car payment or some sort of loan or some sort of credit card. Cause they're going to come. Those offers are going to come. And it's going to be easy for you to go into debt, man. And it is going to be a tether that you're going to wish you didn't have throughout your twenties, thirties, forties, fifties for the rest of your life. You don't want that. So avoid debt if you can. Um, and then the last thing I'm gonna tell you to avoid is, uh, avoid pacifiers. Uh, I don't mean that literally, obviously. I mean, I mean, what are the things that you go to right away? 
In our last episode, we talked about someone who was addicted to World of Warcraft, and they spent 45 days in their dorm room sleeping one hour a night playing World of Warcraft 23 hours a day. Um, that's an extreme version of a pacifier. But what are the things you twitch for right away? For me, it's YouTube or it's Twitter or it's uh, just social media in general. And I have to be careful because those things can be valuable to me, but they can also be detrimental. They can get in the way. And so especially for you, Jordan, avoid those digital pa- pacifiers. I know a lot of your friends, are they have smartphones now. You may have a smartphone as well. But um, also realize that it's, it's okay to put it down, put it away, to leave it in the car, to leave it in your bag, to go spend time face-to-face with other people and, and to not tell them to do the same thing, but to lead by example. Mm-hmm. And, and the way I do that quite often is I'll make sure I don't put my phone on the table. I'll make sure I'm not, when I'm interacting with other people, I'm interacting with them and not with the glowing screen that is nearby. So yeah, avoid yeah. those those distractions. What are the what are the distractions in your life? You want to live a more meaningful life. Avoid the distractions and and really lean into, dive head first, plunge into the the more uh, uh, mundane tasks, the drudgery that you're going to to find it is meaningful because it aligns with the person that you want to become. Yeah, I totally agree with you, man. This is the perfect time for him to to start asking these questions and incorporating good habits into his life. You know, when I think about the kids I've heard of who are really stressed out, it, it, a lot of the times it's because, because he mentioned, dude, he's 12 years old. Yeah. And he mentioned finals mm-hmm. in the sixth grade. Mm-hmm. So he might be, I'm not saying he necessarily is, we don't know, but he might be in like some AP or like honor classes, mm-hmm. which um, it's funny in high school, like I had the opportunity and like intentionally was like, no, like I don't want to put that pressure on myself. Mm. Uh, I can barely get by with like the regular math homework and English homework and stuff. Like I'm not going to go into these honor classes and like put even that much more pressure on me. Yeah. And so, so, you know, if you are in those, those types of classes, Jordan, I would ask yourself, like, why are you in those classes? If it's to go to college, great. Why are you planning to go to college? Mm-hmm. Is it to, uh, you know, be a surgeon or an engineer? That's great. But you've got to get behind the why of the matter. Uh, but, you know, if you want to be an artist, then do art. Yeah. I mean, it, you don't necessarily have to be in these AP classes to get a, you know, a good uh, art education. I know plenty of people who have art educations. Uh, they did not need to go to college to do art. In fact, you know what I want to do, Sean? I would like to give him uh, a copy of uh, Malcolm Gladwell's The Outliers, uh, where it talks about the 10,000 hours. I wish I would have read this book at 12 years old. I read mm. it when I was probably 26 and it still had a huge impact on me, and it has helped me put things into perspective a little bit better. But at 12 years old, like if I could have had that information, um, I don't know necessarily what I would have done with it, but it certainly would have helped me change my perspective the rest of my life. Especially if you were asking these questions like Jordan is yes. now. Like he's, he's asking all the right questions, man. And Ryan, I think you bring up such a great point. We, at age 18... I would have much, I mean, so I, I don't have a college degree. I started, I took some college classes and got some college debt when I was in my twenties. Uh, I started when I was maybe 22, um, because it's what you were supposed to do. And I, and so I'd already learned business from the business that I was running at, at the corporation that we worked at and the stores I was managing, I was learning business and then I would go relearn it in a class. I know like, you, Oh, here's two here's, theories that I could put names to of yeah, the n- things now, that I do in my regular job. Yeah. R- right now, now I, c- I can, I can say what the in- inelasticity of demand is because I understand right. w- what that means and, and people get addicted to their phones. So we have an inelasticity of demand with respect to that, that phone. It's the reason we're willing to, 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 um, 
give so much of our time and attention to it. But um, what, what I, if I were in his position, I, I would have, I wish I would have asked those questions. Like, why am I doing, why, why am I taking these college classes? Is it to actually learn something? Or, and because, yeah, you're right, Ryan. If you want to be a dentist or a surgeon, yeah, I'm not going to go to a, 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 a DIY. <laughs> a self, yeah. Uh, a self-taught dentist. Yeah, yeah. I'm, but it's okay. I'm an autodidact. Yeah, but you're not my dentist. Right. Um, <laughs> and, and that's okay. Like, um, but there are many things where we, we go to college and that money is functionally wasted in many yeah. ways. It's it's the only it's the, it's the only time by the way we will give an 18-year-old $100,000 to $200,000 worth of debt. That should be illegal, man. It, yeah, I, I I totally agree, man. And the, But the, you know what? This is a free country, man. With with freedom comes yeah. great responsibility. Yeah, yeah. So so yeah, it shouldn't be illegal. It should be it should be scorned. Yeah. And so let's do that. Let's let's scorn the fact that institutions, including including the government, uh, which is weird, are willing to give 18 year olds six figures worth of debt. It's not weird when they own them for the rest of their lives. Oh, man. Yeah. You can't even <laughs> declare bankruptcy. We have no. we have uh, bank bankruptcy laws that are very advantageous for entrepreneurs and starting businesses. And mm-hmm. it's the reason that America has so much innovation is because we're allowed to fail here. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, that's important. But. This is the one you're, you're investing in yourself, a hundred thousand dollars yourself to go to college, but you're not allowed to fail there, right? Mm-hmm. You, and so I know so many people, man, who have just and we've talked to thousands of people with overwhelming student loan debt that it's hard for them to get out of. We've had doctors and dentists call into this show with four hundred thousand dollars worth mm-hmm. of debt. We have, we have people who are making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year who are broke because of debt. Yeah. I knew people in, in the corporate world who made six figures a year. Wait, I knew myself. I was broke. <laughs> I made six figures a year, but but uh, I was one or two months away from, from being just completely broke because I had so much debt. Yeah. Avoid that debt. I know we, we've gone down a rabbit hole here. For Jordan, is there anything else you, you yeah, want to tell Yeah, yeah, I've got a few more things for Great. Jordan here. So uh, I would say, Jordan, if you don't have a schedule, if, if your parents haven't sat down with you and help help you ma- make a schedule, do that. Because that, for me, is what he mentions that he might be ADD for my ADD self. Like, I have to put stuff in my calendar. Mm-hmm. And that is uh, a huge, huge uh, tool that I that I use to help me just stay a little bit less less uh, overwhelmed can i talk to you about my calendar real quick yeah absolutely I think, I think that's helpful too because what i'll do is i'll do the same thing i'll schedule it out but i also hate things on my calendar so it's me allowing me to schedule something out and then i'll look at it and I'll say well, is this essential is this right. essential do i really want to spend three hours doing this yeah, yeah. And, and if i have that on my calendar and then i can say it allows me to say yes or no so we talked about the Derek sivers either say hell yeah or say no to something yeah you know what if you're not willing to say hell yeah to that thing that's on your calendar, then find a way to get it off your calendar or at least attenuate the time. That three-hour meeting, how do I figure out, how do I make it one hour? Uh, Scott Stratton has this great bit. He's a, a keynote speaker, and he, he says, um, there, there's a study out now that says millennials don't like meetings. And he goes, who the hell likes meetings? Nobody likes meetings. No, no one likes going to, to meetings. And, and so for me, the key is if I don't like them, sometimes some meetings are necessary, but I will try to have as few meetings as possible. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The fewer meetings in my life, the happier. 
Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah. <laughs> I, I, and some of them are necessary. It's, it's drudgery that we have to go through. But I'm going to ask myself that. If it's on my calendar, is this essential? If not, I mean, Sean gets I me mean, all the time. I'll, I'll send him a note that says, hey, man, like that interview that we set up, that one is just not essential. Like, I, I, I'd rather spend this hour with with uh, Beck. So I'd rather spend it by myself writing or reading or, or doing something different because we all have the same 24 hours in a day. Are you going to let everyone else dictate your day? In some cases, yeah. If you're going to school, you have to let them di- dictate those right. hours. But you get to pick how, how you're choosing the rest of your hours. Mm-hmm. Choose wisely. Definitely. Uh, the other thing I was going to say is, dude, you got to choose wisely <laughs> who you associate with. Uh. You, your personality, Jordan, it's made up of uh, the top five people you hang around along with your role models. Yes. So really be careful with who you want to hang around. You know, you said something earlier I wanted to touch on about how, you know, care about, care more about what you think about yourself than others. And here's the beautiful thing when you do that Mm -hmm. is that other people will start to like you and like who you are. And the beautiful thing about that is they're actually liking who you are. It's not who you're trying to pretend to be. They don't like the facade. They like the actual structure. Yeah. The bad news is some people are still not going to like you, but that's, that is a life lesson that maybe I should share with Jordan right now. If, if everyone likes you, Jordan, something's wrong. Yes. You're doing something wrong. Uh, You know, everyone likes vanilla. Uh, but you know, very few people would say that vanilla is their favorite flavor of ice cream. Yeah, man. I think about you back in the corporate world. You, you would sometimes be very abrasive. You, you were always <laughs> sometimes your, you were you were yourself <laughs> um, all the time, and people gravitated toward that because it wasn't a facade. Mm. There were other people who tried it, and, and um, you could tell they were affecting some sort of. Um, confrontational demeanor you weren't trying to be confrontational you Mm -hmm. were you were flagrantly honest and people gravitated toward that eventually not everyone though some people people were turned off by a lot of people hated me and it's funny because like the people who liked me they loved me and the people who didn't like me they really didn't like me yes you were as as our friend aj leon says in in our documentary you were flamboyantly yourself yeah that is true um the last (laughs) the last speaking of corporate world the last thing i would tell you jordan is dude and I tell every kid this, don't do drugs, don't drink. <laughs> now, don't get me wrong, drugs and alcohol are awesome. But the problem is that <laughs> when you do them, you realize how awesome they are and you just want to continue to do them. And like, you know, I, I don't, I don't uh, certainly drink like I used to uh, in the corporate world. And I certainly don't do the drugs that I used to do when I was in the corporate world. Uh, but I'll tell you, man, like I still, when I get overwhelmed, mm-hmm. like I look, like I will remember, you know, 10 years ago. Like, man, I could just, you know, take X drugs. Those are your pacifiers. Yeah, and, and, and feel so much better right now. So, uh, you know, I know that's like such a cliche thing to say, but this is my PSA announcement for uh, today's podcast. Is yeah. like, kids, don't do drugs. Don't drink. Uh, because the problem is, is that, yeah, you're going to like it and you're going to want to do it again and again and again and again. And that it works for only so long. Yeah, well, It's like, I mean, you can look at the same thing with Twinkies. Like, yes. you know, you, if I bought a box of Twinkies. Yeah, I also say don't do Twinkies, kids. Yeah, don't do Twinkies, kids. But no, it's the same thing with food. It's like, you know, I could buy a box of Twinkies. If I ate one Twinkie. Uh, I'm going to eat another one mm. because it's so good. But then after I eat that whole box of Twinkies, maybe Diminishing it takes returns. Yeah. Maybe it takes me two days to do that, but it's like, I feel awful after that. Yeah. So that yeah. would be my last bit of advice, man. And and also realize that different drugs are, are, are different as well. Like there are oh, you know, yeah. pills and opiates are, are really bad. And there's an epidemic in this country going on. And of, so of overdosing. And I, dude, I know so many people who, uh, who I've grown up with. Mm-hmm. I'll just say that. Um, yeah. I can count on, it used to be on two hands, I could count how many people overdosed. Now it's, I, I would need a third hand. 
man it's, yeah. it's unbelievable and, and, and we won't go into details but you even have people in, in your own family who have have had, had had to go down that road uh, the, uh, drugs has been in my a problem in my family uh since since i can you know since the second grade since i can really you know think about yeah think about my childhood yeah for sure well man i i, I think that you know there will be a point where jordan is exposed to to all of that and, and also realizing that yeah the the so me personally, I've never experimented with, with any drugs. I've just always like, I, I was really turned off by my, my experience growing up and in my household of it, drugs and alcohol equal depression. Yeah. Um, and so, and I that, grew up with drugs and alcohol equal a great fun party. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, there, there will be times where you will end up experimenting and, and, um, I'm not telling you to do that. I'm just saying that it's likely we'll you'll have opportunities, you'll, you'll, you'll to, have do opportunities sure. to do that. Maybe and not, so, hopefully not in the sixth grade. Yeah, well, I mean, when's the first time you you did drugs? Yeah, it was not far after that, a couple years after that. Yeah, yeah. and so um, yeah, realize that you know there are some some drugs that are for you know psychedelics don't have the same addictive properties that opiates do. Right. In fact, psychedelics don't have any physically addictive uh, properties, and so that could be. I mean, in fact, so your PSA announcement stick to psychedelics. Well, I mean, no, I mean, if I I'm were kidding, to, I'm let, kidding. let's talk about this now. If I, if I were to do if I were to do any drugs now, I mean, psychedelics because of the the potential experience, the potential benefits of having the, the, the mind opening experience from that. And so Sam Harris has written quite a bit about that. Um, and, and several other, you know, renowned scientists have, have written about their experience on, on psychedelics and i think yeah, I, I just read this whole thing on uh jonathan fields re, uh, tweeted something about um micro dosing mm-hmm. and like the effects of it anyway no i, I yeah I, I would just i'm just so, so when you say don't do drugs it's also i think it's also important to it, the problem with with drug saying drugs is like saying kids go play sports i mean right. that could mean basketball it's very broad, or it could mean yeah. bowling yeah um and they both involve a ball but that's about it and and so um it it's it's not a word that really fully encompasses the the different uh layers because yeah, advil is a drug right right, right. right. coffee no, is, is, is a drug and so i i'm drinking a coffee right now and i don't have any problem with with doing that but um you know it, it's up to you to to um, well, it's going to be up to you. It's up to your parents right now. So let's be really clear about that. It's up to your parents to allow you to do whatever uh, they they feel is best for you. And so let's put that caveat out there. But there will be a time where, when you're faced with that. And I agree with Ryan. Uh, you don't have to succumb to, to the peer pressure here. And, and in fact, if you care less about what they think about you, then you can ask yourself, is this what the best version of myself would do? Yeah. And in some cases, the best version of yourself might try psychedelics when you're an adult and you're allowed to make decisions on your own. Um, the best version of you, I mean, I was talking to Colin Wright about this, our friend. Um, he's like, yeah, I'll probably, he, goes, he, he doesn't do any drugs at all. No. Uh, doesn't even really drink. Uh, he will occasionally, like three times a year or something. You know, he's a robot and he's <laughs> able to to parse it out accordingly. But um, he, uh, it, He's like, yeah, there will probably be a time in my life where I try just about everything just because I want to do it. But he'll do it in a very responsible way. He's like, there may be a time where I want to try crack cocaine. <laughs> and and um, he's not saying that everyone else should do that. What he's saying is there might be a time where I've decided that is right for me and it's not an emotional reaction to it. I, I still think it's a bad idea. I will never try that personally. But um, uh, I just not a rabbit hole I want to dive down. But whatever decisions you make, you want to you want to make those decisions. Yeah, don't be pressured into it. I guess. You yeah, know, make exactly. Them deliberately. So enjoy those tickets to our Seattle event, Jordan. Come up and say hi afterward. Grab a hug. Our next question is from Miley in Orlando. From the beginning of 2016, I started to experience severe depressive episodes, 
and was ultimately diagnosed with treatment-resistant major depressive disorder order once I started my fourth and fifth medication. Ultimately, I had to take a year-long absence from school, and now I'm still in recovery. Although I recognize now that I have a serious real mental health disorder that I have to live with, I still can't come to grasp the term, grasp the term that my life has suddenly taken. Um, as a type A personality, I am unable to process these changes and allow myself to forgive myself and move on from what appears to, to me to be like a failure. Um, leaving school abruptly while temporarily, while, while it's temporary, uh, it shook my confidence and self-esteem and has plunged me deeper into depression. My question for you guys is, do you guys have any advice for me on dealing with these unique circumstances? How do you guys deal with setbacks? How do you view failure and how do you process failure? Do you believe it is possible to have a functional, meaningful life even if you suffer from mental illness, like severe depression or anxiety? Miley, we are, first off, grateful that we're able to add value to your life. Um, but, you know, yes, it is absolutely possible to live a meaningful life uh, when dealing with a mental illness. So I, I just want to reassure you that. Um, I thought of this parable last night, Josh. I don't, I don't know if you will enjoy this because I know you hate animals. <laughs> <laughs> animals and onions, Josh despises. <laughs> um, but, I kind of like giraffes. <laughs> It was big purple tongues. They are pretty cool. You know, recently they found out there are uh, four different species of giraffes. Like, it's not just one specific giraffe. Anyway, I'm no, going but, on a So, I, I always ask Ella what sound a giraffe makes. <laughs> what did she do? Stick out her tongue? Well, no, because, like, no one knows, right? And so, <laughs> uh, I, I told her that it goes... <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, we'll be somewhere. Ella will, like, be at, like, someone's house, you know, and all the kids are together playing, and... And I'll say, hey, Ella, what, what sound does giraffe make? And she'll just go, she'll look over and she'll just go. <laughs> and all the parents are like, is that, I guess that is the sound a giraffe makes. Oh, I'm my goodness. <laughs> it sounds like um, an elephant that has lost its, like, voice box or something. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, here, here, here's, here's, here's the parable I have for you, Miley. You know, I want you to imagine like a stray, draw, a, a stray dog that you find on the side of the road. It's been hit by a car, and it's wounded, obviously. And as you approach the dog, it kind of snarls a little bit out of fear and tries to keep its distance, but eventually she realizes you are her only hope for survival, and she lets you pick her up. And at first embrace, you know, she looks at you with those, those big puppy dog eyes. Funny how uh, adult dogs can still have, like, puppy dog eyes sometimes. <sighs> and, uh, you know, gives you a nice slobbery lick on your face. And after you save this dog's life with the help of a vet, you bring her home and she is as happy as can be. And it seems great. But then, you know, the first time you invite company over, she gets scared, pees on the carpet and runs and hides. And, and you think to yourself, well, well, you know, this is, you know, I got to acclimate her to company. I got to acclimate her to my, my friends and family. So you think, yeah, eventually she'll warm up to others. But you know what? It never happens. And time and time again, the dog gets scared. It hides. It pees on the carpet when anyone else comes around but you. But you and this dog have a very, very good relationship. So, so what do you do? Like, do you start to despise that dog? Do you start to hate that dog? Do you, do you get rid of that dog do you, for its uh, you know, repeated failures to acclimate towards other people? Of, of course not. Like you're you're going to you're going to love that dog. So I guess here's my point: is we all 
fail. We will all fall down at some point. But after we fall, isn't it wonderful when a kind person reaches out their hand to help us get back up on our feet? So, you know, I think my biggest uh, piece of advice for Miley here is you have got to find people who are going to be there to extend a hand. And you have to avoid the relationships with those who don't. At the end of the day, the people who who judge us for failing, who, who pass up the opportunity to help us get back up on our feet, they don't deserve to be in our lives. So, you know, I mean, I know we preach community all the time, Josh, mm-hmm. but I think in Miley's situation, like this is this is probably... Uh, this is what I would uh, see as her like number one focus mm-hmm. is having people around her that do care for her mm-hmm. that are going to um, are going to offer a hand when she falls down. We all fail, every single one of us. In fact, <clears throat> uh, the one thing I do want to recommend uh, for Miley here is a TEDx talk by a gentleman named I'm going to really butcher this name. I think it's uh, Jia Zhang. Okay. Okay. All right. I think I, I actually that's probably really close. Yeah, yeah, you pulled it off. Yeah. So it Bravo. is. Thank you. It is. It is this gentleman who. Um, I'm just gonna give you the gist because I don't want to like do any spoiler alerts. Um, and it's like a 20 minute long or 15 minute long uh, TED talk, but he basically um, comes to a point in his life where he is so tired of being scared of failing that he goes out of his way to get comfortable with it. Mm. So he he literally goes out and practices failing. And it's a great story. And uh, we saw this guy talk at um, the World Domination Summit that okay. Chris Gillibo puts on. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it was it was by far, I've, I think we've been to like three, maybe four World Domination Summits. Uh-huh. The best talk I've seen out of all out of all his wow. uh, events. So uh, I mean, for me, it just it really motivated me. So uh, we'll put that in the show notes. Um, but yeah, I would I would recommend watching that also to kind of help you get over your feel of failing there. I was thinking of the the first scene of House of Cards when you were going through your parable, but. Apparently it ended differently from that. <laughs> yeah, for, yeah. For those who uh, don't like animals, um, yeah. Sorry for that parable, but I know there's. I know we got a lot of readers who, who love their pets. I was just. I was just thinking of Frank Underwood in that in that first scene. Anyway, um, so first off, obviously, Miley, I'm I'm not a doctor. I don't play one on the podcast or the internet, and, and so uh, I'm, I'm gonna. I'll give you some advice as if I were in your situation. Okay. And so, first off, you talked about how you're a highly ambitious med student. There's a, a line from our book, Everything That Remains, that, that you reminded me of uh, w- with, with your question. Uh, it is not ambition that sets a man apart. It is the distance he is prepared to go. And, and I, think, I think that's true. We can all be ambitious with, with respect to something, but there are always going to be obstacles in the way as well. Uh, Bex is reading a book by Ryan Holiday right now called The Obstacle is the Way. And um, I think we need to keep that in mind. Like there will be obstacles, but we have to we have to go over we have to go over them. And and for you, this uh, depression is an obstacle or what you're calling a, a mental illness. Is that the book that is Bex part of the she's part of the book club, right? Yeah, yeah. With with Jess Williams and Mariah and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Is yeah. that that book? Is that the book? Right. Yeah, right, right. it's funny because I was uh, telling this parable to Mariah. Uh-huh. I was like, "Does this make sense? Like, is this our, 
And uh, she recommended that book as well. So yeah. I'm just echoing that recommendation. Well, maybe uh, let's send a copy of that to Miley. Sean. That'd be awesome. We can send it, and also send her a copy of Everything That Remains because it's really our our story, Ryan's and my story of overcoming overwhelm, our own version of overwhelm in our lives as well. So uh, if you can send her the audio book of that or or the book book, um, I'm sure she'll find some value in that. But yeah, it it really isn't the 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 ambition it's the distance you're prepared to go and there will always be obstacles in our way and you mentioned you know how sometimes we fail sometimes we succeed and i remember when we used to do interviews we would interview people we say what's your greatest like what's your biggest weakness or or tell me about a time you failed and and the problem with that is it's not binary like that most of our our failures are also successes and most of our successes are peppered with failures and, and once we realize that, that there are going to be mini, miniature failures along the way, there will be mini, miniature successes along the way, it's all an amalgamation of both. You, you're not going to learn. You know, it's like when I play basketball, right? I, if I'm shooting free throws, mm-hmm. I'm not going to make 100% of them. So if I, if I shoot 10 and I make 8, that means I failed twice. Sometimes I'll fail five times. Sometimes I won't fail at all. And it's really up to us to say, okay, that isn't a failure. It's just it's just something I missed. And the overall, it, I can determine whether or not it is a success or a failure. But for Miley specifically, uh, I, I think of the, the Tony Robbins quote. He says, we don't get depressed, we do depressed. Mm. And I think that's true most of the time. Even when we are uh, in a depressed state, we can often change that by changing our, our state, by changing our physiology first. So the first thing we want to try to do is change our physiology. Many depressed people don't exercise. And, and so finding ways to, to get rigorous exercise in, there are a lot of studies that show that people who are depressed, w- when they implement rigorous exercise for just a couple of weeks, have found, found that their, their levels of happiness and contentment raise significantly. Mm-hmm. So 45 minutes a day, every day for two weeks, and you'll notice a significant change. But you'll notice the change even before that. Mm-hmm. If, you put, if you go look in the mirror, put a big smile on your face, jump up and down for 10 seconds, as silly as that sounds, you do it by yourself, no one's going to laugh at you. You're going to feel a change in your physical state. The, I always hear this thing about faking a smile, like, oh, that, uh, that person was faking a smile. It's actually not something you can fake. A smile is a smile. Right. It may not be genuine, but it is a real smile, and it's going to change your state a little bit. Yeah, and even if it's not a genuine smile, that person is trying. Yes. Like, why would you ever knock someone right. for fake smile? Unless, unless it's like a patronizing yeah if they're being patronized of course yeah but like if someone's like if, trying to be in a good mood and like you can tell they're they're forcing a smile yes yeah, it's, it's even it's not a fake smile it's a patronizing smile right and, and so so yes you want to you want to change your physiology and then after that you want to change your language you're, you're using some language here that I, I i wouldn't use uh especially illness and i get doctors use this but it they'll, they'll use the term illness but to me, that is a, a limiting belief, right? And we all have we all have obstacles in our way, and so maybe instead of saying illness, say I have some mental obstacles. It's okay to say that. Yeah. It's okay to reframe it because once you reframe it, the language that you use, you'll be able to start focusing on what you can do as opposed to what you can't do. So the language you use will then lead to the focus. If you change your body language or you change your physiology, you change the language you're using to frame whatever this challenge or obstacle is, and then you're going to uh, change what you're focused on because if you focus on the right things, what you 
you can change, then you'll start changing them. If you focus on things you can't change, you'll feel overwhelmed, you'll feel despair, and then, of course, you'll start to feel hopeless longer term. And so uh, I think you'll find some value, uh, Miley, in both of those books, hopefully, as well as the, the TED Talk that, that Ryan recommended. Got anything else before we move on, Ryan? I don't, man. All right. Well, we'd love to hear what y'all have to say. So if you have a comment or a tip about overwhelm, including advice for any of our callers today, then leave us a voicemail, 406-219-7839. You can also email a voice memo from your phone to podcast at theminimalists.com. We will air our favorite comments and tips on the next episode. Okay. You know what time it is. It is time to move on to our hashtag Ask the Minimalists lightning round. We're on Twitter and Instagram at The Minimalists and Facebook.com slash The Minimalists during the lightning round. This is where Ryan and I do our best to answer each question with just a short, shareable, less than 140 character response. We also put the text to these minimal maxims in the show notes so you can copy and share our pithy answers on social media if you'd like. All right, man. Our first, I love this, I love this Twitter name. <laughs> the first question is from MTAP. Uh-huh. <laughs> How do you deal with distractions that remove your attention from your long-term values? Well, my, my short tweetable answer to this is distractions are inherently meaningless. Values are inherently meaningful. Pause and then choose wisely. Amen. Uh, I, got, I, I have a, a, just some simple advice. <laughs> Take it simple. One step at a time. Yeah, so I, I tend to sign all my emails with, with that. Take it simple instead of take it easy. Mm-hmm. And it was an accident one time. Uh, I wrote an essay about this on our website. Uh, it's somewhere on our site. But uh, there was a FedEx driver who was dropping off a package uh, here at the office. And he like handed it to me. And like usually, usually it's like a Midwest thing. You're like, hey, take it easy. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, like I just say, hey, take it simple. And I'm like, wait a minute. It's but genius. It's so much better, right? Yeah, it's so, so much better. Man. So yeah, take it simple. It doesn't mean take it easy, but but what is the simple approach to things? And uh, take that one step at a time. Well, I it's. It, it, I think the the question that MTAP should be asking is how do you deal with distraction that remove your attention from your long term values? Because looking at all your distractions at once, mm-hmm. like that's going to be overwhelming. Yeah. So to uh, make it a little bit more approachable, just take it one step at a time. Lisa writes in, where is the line between engaged and overwhelmed? My short answer is seven inches later. (laughs) (laughs) No comment. Uh, Engagement is an action. Overwhelm is an emotion. When we are overwhelmed by our actions, we must focus. I'd say look at being overwhelmed like a flashing yellow light. Use caution when saying yes to others and tasks. This question is from April. When I'm overwhelmed, I cope with things that don't benefit me long term. How do I cope effectively? Well, my, uh, my short answer to that is a pretty simple one here. Lean into the experiences you avoid. Yeah, so I missed the parenthetical in that question. <laughs> she, she gave examples like uh, skipping the gym and and snacking. Uh, yeah, I, I totally agree, man. Like you've got to lean into those experiences that you put off. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I would say sometimes saying no to others and tasks leaves room for saying yes to a meaningful life. Mm. 
Yeah, you got to say no so you can say yes to that, which is important. That's for sure. Anna wants to know, I feel overwhelmed with cleaning out my basement. It's tiny and full of stuff, and there's no room to sort things out. I procrastinate. So how do, how do we help her to not procrastinate? Anna, don't let your procrastination turn pro. Dude, when I saw this on here, yeah, yeah. So just so people know, like we, Josh and I have a shared Google Doc. Like we will put the questions and like our answers in. Uh-huh. I almost corrected it. I'm like, I'm like, what? Procrastination is not a word. <laughs> and it's funny because you even reading the answer, you, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. got tripped up a little bit. All right, I'd say uh, having an accountability partner can often be the kick in the pants needed to get things done. Yeah, definitely. So Anna, like, find a friend or a family member who's willing to help you out, or maybe you play the men's game with someone. But, but if you can't hold yourself accountable, like find someone else who will help you with that. I know um, Josh is a very awesome account accountability partner for myself. Um, and, and uh, I got other people in my life like that as well. So find someone who can help you out. Ashley Lynn, how do you decide what to focus on when multiple worthy things compete for your attention, like family, work, and friends. All right, short answer here. Prioritize and then decoct. I had to totally look up decoct. It means to boil something down to its essence. Well, now I know. (laughs) (laughs) And and I think it's important because that's really what we're trying to do here is when we are prioritizing, the United Nations, when they publish their list of 163 priorities, it tells me they don't have any priorities at all. But... If you decock that and boil it down to its essence and, and maybe even chunk it, you, you'll figure out that, okay, all of these things aren't truly priorities. What are the real priorities? And you can figure that out once you get down to the essence. I would say if saying yes to others is distracting you from focusing on your priorities, everyone loses. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, if, 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 you, uh, if you're saying yes, 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 it means you're probably saying no to that, which is, is most important to you. All right, well, let's move on. Let's move on to added value. This is the, the portion of the show where we each recommend something that has added value to our lives recently. Uh, I got a few things here. Ryan, what do you got? Um, so I'm, I'm passing on a recommendation that Sean gave me this morning. I woke up to a text, and he was like, hey, man, there's this uh, video from uh, Bert Kreischer. Uh-huh. Uh, comedian. Yeah, comedian. Uh, he, he's This guy, his, his life was the inspiration for the movie Van Wilder. Uh-huh. So, uh, yeah, he's a comedian, and it's this 15-minute clip. First off, this guy is telling this whole – he's doing this whole com- uh, comedic routine with a shirt off. Uh-huh, he does that and a he lot. Is, yeah, and he is not, like, a handsome, like, buff guy. He's no. like – it's it's hilarious. <laughs> so uh, I, I wake up to this to this video of, 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 of Burt Kreischer – telling a story about how he accidentally joined the Russian mafia and Mariah and I are watching it in bed and we were cracking up. And I thought, you know, for all the overwhelmed people out there, they need, they need a little laughter in their life. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we'll put that in the show notes. It it is now there's a couple F words in there. I'll just give you a heads up. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, it's like PG 13 ish, maybe like PG 16 new rating (laughs) patent pending. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 hilarious all right cool uh i got three things here uh drake's new album just came out uh, he's calling it a playlist Drizzy. yeah it's uh it's called more life and i listened to the first time through and i was like i don't know what to think of this i thought the same thing but, i've only listened to it once but, but then but then i'm like josh you said that for the last three times he's put something out yeah. and so i kept listening to thing. it and it got better 
and, and better, better. Yeah. and better. And now I can't stop. Li- I'm listening to it right now. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> uh, no, it, it just got. It, it's it's so good. So uh, Drake's new album, uh, or they're calling it a playlist. It's a 22 song album. Uh, let's just call it an album. Um, but I mean, I like. Okay, actually, I, that I don't know why I feel scornful there. Like it's it, a unique marketing ploy to call it a playlist because it does feel slightly different from his past albums, and I think maybe it, it lowers the burden of proof for him to not call it his you know, fifth studio album. He did that with the last mixtape he did as well. He did a mixtape that was. Uh, if you're reading this, it's too late. It's my favorite album of his, but he calls it a mixtape. It's yeah. it's uh, I think his best work. I think it's sort of like peak Drake. But anyway, uh, after that, I recommend uh, GiveWell.org. If you're looking for a good charity to give to, they have seven of the most effective charities in the world there, and they, they rate them uh, as to how effective they are, how many lives they save. It's where I gave most of my charitable income last year was to those seven charities, actually the top four charities there at GiveWell.org. And the third thing I'm going to recommend, Ryan, is olive oil. <laughs> dude now, you know how much i love olive oil it's <laughs> because you're greek <laughs> well i used to actually it's funny because i would used to make uh, uh fun of you not not literally because you what do didn't you mean do you it. used to make fun of me well i mean with respect to like you know because you've got uh the swarthy greek skin and <laughs> I, I just call what? it olive oil skin but the funny thing is i've replaced all of my lotion and like uh, Benadryl itch creams and that's why you smell like a Caesar salad. <laughs> <laughs> that makes so much sense. That, now. Th- those are the anchovies in my pocket. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I so my naturopath recommended like because I've I've tried to get rid of all allergens in the household and and there's so many chemicals and lotions and stuff and so I use olive oil instead of like, as soon as I get out of the shower I just slather it on everywhere. Even the most sensitive of areas, <laughs> or I should say, especially the most sensitive of areas. Like the bottoms of your feet? <laughs> no, that's actually the one place I don't put it because it <laughs> <You just laughs> would be a disaster. Imagine I didn't it. say your most sensitive areas, <laughs> Tenderfoot. See, <laughs> I mean, I'm imagining if you did that, it would be like, yeah, risky business. Yeah, yeah. Everybody. Actually, I did it once. And I'm like, oh, like I'm <laughs> slipping in the shower. So don't do it. Uh, but man, so I do it in the shower. Like I keep a bottle of olive oil in the shower, not a glass bottle because I don't want it to break. So like I put it into one of those like reusable uh, plastic bottles from the uh, good food store. And anyway, like I will just slather it on after the shower and on my face and like you would think like it's gonna clog your pores and no man it's so great my I would skin, think it would clog my drain more than anything my, well no it doesn't really get in the drain because I, I put it on my hand and then I put it on my oh, body yeah, there yeah. might be a couple drops that make it but no I, okay. it, it's not I, I don't slather on that much like, <laughs> I'm just imagine, you said plastic container I'm just imagining a bucket of olive oil <laughs> like, on your head after no, I don't get in my hair because then it'd be all uh, greasy but I put it all over my face and all over my body and it is. I'm. It's so much better than lotion. Like I will never go coconut back. Coconut oil? Have you done that at all? Because I know a lot of people swear by coconut oil. No, too. I, I. I haven't. But I'll. I'll try it out. I've got some coconut oil at home, so I would definitely try it out. But like we last time we were on the road, we were out in Chicago. Like I bought because we were there for a week. I bought just bought a small bottle of olive oil instead of having you know, hotel lotion or whatever. <laughs> and uh, man, it's so much better. So my recommendation is olive oil. You can cook with it. You can use it as your your lotion and um it's also makes a great slip and slide in the shower <laughs> well if you ever need any help putting that olive oil on your back josh you just let me know 
I'm good. Thanks All right. So. I'm just trying to be a good friend. Yeah, I appreciate that, man. Thank you. <laughs> All right, let's move on to right here, right now. This is where Ryan and I talk about what's going on in the lives of the minimalists. Uh, great news. Netflix, our documentary, Minimalism, a documentary about the important things. It's hitting Netflix worldwide April 1st. And so any country that has Netflix, will, you'll now be able to see our documentary. If you don't have Netflix, don't worry. You can find it on Vimeo or a bunch of other platforms worldwide over at minimalismfilm.com. I Real feel like I just need to reiterate, like this is not an April Fool's joke. <laughs> <laughs> no, it no, actually no. comes out on April 1st. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and then uh, we just started this uh, four-part series called Simples. It's a four-part animated web series by the minimalists. It's, uh, we, we took some different concepts some different essays. The one that's up there right now, and actually by the time this comes out, the second one will be out. Uh, we did one called Someday. It's sort of about to-do lists and, and, uh, and minimalist to-do lists. Who and did the animation for that? Was it uh, uh, Elvin Dantes. He's a very talented animator. Um, reached out to him last year. Now, this is, it's really... Because he's made a couple like things on his own. It's, right? it's so time-consuming for him to do this. So we, we hired him. He, he made one video for us and didn't ask us uh, to like do it. Like just did it, it on his own it. Yeah, and sent it to and us. So we hired him to do three more and, and do this whole web series. He spent so much time. I mean, we're talking... Uh, dozens if not over a hundred hours on this web series oh, wow. and it's really amazing the animation's great a ton of people are sharing it on facebook and also on youtube so you can find it there you can also find it at our website if you just go to the minimalists.com slash simples one uh we'll put a link to that in the show notes as well you can also find it on our youtube channel uh, youtube.com slash the minimalist and uh, if you like it if you enjoy it share it with your friends and family it's it's a very quick like two minute three minute digestible episodes of this web series but it takes so much time for elvin to to do all the animation on this also if you're looking for some random inspiration i don't know if you knew you knew about this ryan but if you go to the minimalists.com slash random mm -hmm. jeff uh, our web developer set this up It'll just populate a random essay from our website for you. I did. So, I, I, yeah, yeah. We've had that there for a little bit. We had the yeah the button there, but yeah. it, but it takes you to that that link. So or you can just go to our, our archives page, theminimalists.com slash archives, and click that random essay button, and it will automatically pop up. Well, you can just go to theminimalists.com slash random, and it will populate a random that bit of so minimalist inspiration. It's for so you. funny because like hearing you say because Mariah's been doing coding. Uh huh. Like the first thing I thought of was, was like, what is the algorithm to make it populate a random essay like that? Yeah, I don't anyway, know, man. I, 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 I don't know how exactly it does that, but it, it will just put up a random essay for you. Also, Ryan and I, every Monday until April 11th, we're doing Mondays with the Minimalists on Facebook Live and Instagram Live. We're at the Minimalists. It's uh, 2 p.m. Eastern time every Monday. We've had a lot of fun with that so far. We still have a few weeks left of that. We're hitting the road as well. The Less Is Now tour is coming to your city or, or probably within three hours of your city at least. If you're not, yeah, if, if we're not coming to your city, we're coming really close. So uh, you can find all the information to that. See the trailer as well over at lessisnow.com. Advertisements suck, so you're not going to hear any from us. But if you want to support the podcast, you can support by donating at theminimalists.com slash donate, or you can leave a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You got anything else, Ryan? I don't, man. All I have left are some voicemail comments and tips from our listeners. Beautiful. Hi, my name is Chris Lynn. I am calling from Marlton, New Jersey. My comment is for the woman who is a teacher who is trying to uh, get rid of a lot of paper. I am a high school history teacher, so technically I'm supposed to have 
buckets and buckets of paper, but I really use online resources for my students. My school uses Google Classroom where I can post all of my stuff. All of my files are in Google Drive. And with Google Classroom, if you have the computer access, I handed out one piece of paper to my students the entirety of this year, and we're three quarters of the way done. Or you could make a website on places like Weebly or Google Sites for free, and they look really sharp. I have no paper, I have no clutter, and my kids can access my classroom from anywhere, including their phones. Hi, my name is Allie from Sedona, Arizona, and I was listening to the February 28th podcast on jobs. In that episode, a man inquired about whether or not he should keep his high school and college diplomas. Um, the question resonated within me as I have recently been a student for a number of years. A source of hesitation that I felt and imagine other listeners feel about discarding a diploma concerns the symbology of the work. While Ryan said the paper doesn't hold the memories, I found myself asking, uh, did the time and money used to earn a degree provide me with knowledge and skills that I can tangibly use today? Well, I believe that answer is yes. I find that piece of paper to be a false security. That in case I am wrong, that my knowledge is worth less than the amount of debt I accrued and won't assist me in actualizing the life I would like to live, at least I have this paper to show I checked off the box. College graduate. Something physical to hold in case the work and money put into obtaining the degrees don't manifest into physical everyday success. A question to ask may be, did I acquire credentials so that I could fit into someone else's framework of life? How do I actualize this experience into who I want to be each and every day? I think the answer is, for those who feel like me, to let go of the watermarked paper safety blanket. For doing so may set us free, alleviating the pressure to live up to a title. For we aren't titles, we're people. Uh, my wife and I discovered this awesome game during our purging. Uh, we ended up with a pile of negotiable items. I call it the minimalist roulette or cage match, or minimalist cage match. Basically, my Velvet Elvis painting versus my wife's Striper vinyl album. Uh, or things of that nature. Uh, we can then both make a case for why we want to keep that item, and it helps us talk through the value process. Does it provide a value-added service, or a value-added memory, or et cetera? Would I defend this item in family court? It's a fun, low-pressure way to process what to keep and what to let go of, and it really helps each other ask each other questions and bring out, you know, why should I keep this? And we actually uh, did this with our dog's toys as well. We kind of left the toys out to see which ones you were interested in, and we uh, actually got our dog in on the minimalism, and um, she's also a fan. All right, y'all, that's it for this episode. If you have a question for the minimalists, give us a call, 406-219-7839. Uh, you can also email a voice memo from your phone to podcast at theminimalists.com. And if you leave here with just one message, we hope it's this. Love people and use things, because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next time. Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Every little thing that you 
Yeah. 